Welcome to the Building Heroes Podcast, where we learn to build heroes in our homes to help our kids be prepared for their life journeys. Hi, I'm your host, Molly Christensen, and I love to encourage and mentor you on your path. Everyone, welcome to podcast 28 of the Building Heroes Podcast. So, what do you do to manage the technology in your home? I know this is a big issue for many of us if we've got kids at home, you know? So today's podcast episode, we're going to chat about some ideas of what to do so it doesn't take over our lives and what the deeper principle is when it comes to managing technology. So have you ever watched Napoleon Dynamite? My kids love that show. Well, at the end of the movie, Napoleon's brother Kip will sing a love song to his new bride at the wedding. And the words go something like this. Yes, I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. But I still love technology always and forever. I would sing it for you, but I can't remember the tune. <laughs> anyway, he brings up a good point that technology can actually really compete with our relationships. And I'm sure we have all felt that. So as we go into this, I really want to just address what we can do to manage the technology in our home, because I'm pretty sure none of us really knows how to do this. So I want to address this question that a mom asked too along this line. And this is what she said. So she said, let's talk about electronics. Do you let your kids go on electronics when they're done with all their schoolwork and chores? If so, then for how long? Or do you wait and let them get on only on the weekends or not at all? My oldest child is a daughter and she loves to create with clay, color and craft and build Legos during her quiet time. But my five-year-old son, on the other hand, absolutely loves playing Wild Kratz PBS games on the tablet. For his free time, all he ever wants to do is be on his tablet. I'm debating if I should let him go on every day for about 30 minutes, as long as he's done with all of his other chores and schoolwork and independent copywork practice. Is that too much time? After his tablet, he can play quietly with kinetic sand, Play-Doh, or magnet tiles. I'm just trying to set some boundaries and looking for advice on how you let your kids earn or even use electronics. And I think this is a really good question to ask. And I think so many of us ask this question because we're not really sure. Now, with so many other things in life, we can usually look back into history and try to use that to determine what the best practices are to do in our homes. What are the principles there? But with technology, it's really kind of difficult because technology use is completely unprecedented in the whole history of the world. Like really, we've only had this technology where kids can get on computer games maybe 30, 40 years and, and smartphones, that's really only been 10, 15 years, you know? So we've never really had a time like this in the whole history of the world. And you know, that's thousands of years from the time that we have records for. Um, and, and we've never had a time where we basically had unlimited access to all the technology, the screens, the information like we do now. And 
we also know it's not going away in the predictable future. <laughs> it is here to stay and we do need to figure out how we wanna manage this in our homes. Now, I know there are some parents who say, this is great, let them have all they want. And then we have the opposite side of the spectrum with parents who don't wanna let their kids access any technology at all. And then I'm guessing that probably most of us are somewhere in between where we just don't feel quite comfortable with either side, <laughs> but we're not really comfortable with what, with what we're actually doing either. So then we feel guilty about letting them have too much technology. And then we feel guilty about not letting them have any technology. And it's really just a big old mess in our brains. <laughs> At least that's how it seems like it is for me sometimes, for sure. And I definitely am not saying I have the right answer here, but in today's podcast, I really just wanted to talk to you about parts of our family tech journey and some of the principles I've uncovered and what we've decided to do and why. But I would never try to say that what we've done is gonna be best for your family because you have different kids, you have a different situation, but you also have the intuition to know what is best for your family. So follow that. I think that's key is that really deep down, we all actually know what's best. It's sometimes a little tricky just because we've got so many outside pressures and also sometimes our kids don't like it. So I think the right answer is, is when you actually decide something, what's best for your family, and then you try that out and you keep adjusting it. And if you don't decide, it's never gonna feel good for you. So this is probably going to date me a little bit, but about 20 years ago, when my oldest son was around six years old, I would let him watch a show most days. You know, it, it gave me a break and I figured, oh, it's Disney. It's got to be good. And this was back in the day when we still had VCRs and, you know, we had to actually rewind the movies. In fact, that's really funny because now my older kids will tell my younger kids, when you guys are so spoiled, when we were little, we had to rewind our movies, you know? <laughs> anyway, there were also video games available then, but we didn't do a whole lot of that because my husband and I weren't really into them much. But this is also about the time when educational software was starting to get really popular. And I'd actually been a software tester for educational games when I was in college. And so I was really familiar with that sort of system. And I thought, yeah, at least playing games that are going to teach you, that's great. I can train my kids to be a genius and I don't even have to do anything and their kids are going to love it, right? Well, so it all seemed well and good, except that it didn't, if you know what I mean. Because I started to notice changes in my son and in his behavior. And when he started to watch more than maybe 30 minutes of a show at a time, he would start to get really grumpy. And he would start being like lashing out at his sister. One time I, I found him and he was watching a show, a Disney show, and he was hiding behind the couch, but he was just peeking around to watch it because he was so terrified. It was so scary to him, but it was so intriguing that he figured if he hid, he could still keep watching it. He literally couldn't stop himself. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe this is not all fun and games for him. Maybe there's some things that can scare my child too. 
And then with the video games, he would always just keep begging to do more and more on the computer. And I started to notice that he was losing his creativity. And his go-to was always to go watch something or play a game. And I was like, you know, something just seems off. And that was the mom intuition that was kind of clicking in for me. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but what I was seeing was really a loss of his freedom to choose. Okay, his brain was starting to become addicted to the screen. And so that's always what he wanted to go to. And it was really making him hard for him to choose his emotions and to choose to create and to do, choose to do other things with his time. So I started to limit his time more just because of these changes I saw. I mean, I really didn't know how this was all affecting his brain. I was just using that mom intuition. And even though it, at times, it definitely seemed like it would be easier to just keep letting him watch and give me a break and not have to deal with the anger, you know, or the begging. I knew it was the best thing for him. So, you know, as I started adding more kids to my family and, and finding it harder and harder to manage it all with the technology, I did start doing some research. Um, and, you know, at the beginning, there really wasn't a whole lot out there at the time. But over time, I did find out that watching a screen or playing an educational game was what we call a passive activity. So passive just means that he was getting entertained, but he wasn't actively engaging in the activity. So it was kind of like just pouring the content in. Okay. So and what happens with that is your brain basically starts to shut down the thinking areas for the most part, because you don't have to think. It's just getting poured in. So even in the learning software, most of the parts of the brain what to learn with were not activating because he wasn't actively engaging with the content. Because really all you have to do in the educational software is recall the relevant information to get the answer right. So for things that you've got to memorize, that actually can be an effective way to memorize it. But if you want your kids to be creative and thinking, then it's not necessarily the best method. Now, reading on the other hand is a crazy active activity. Okay, maybe it's not crazy, but <laughs> it lights up your brain. So many different areas of your brain and it makes you think because it's, you're activating the language in the verbal sentence or center because either you're um, if you're reading to yourself, you're, you can hear it in your head, or if you're listening to a read aloud, same thing, you're, you can hear the words, and you have to interpret what it means. It activates your, your hearing senses, because what I just said to you with it's hearing the story in your mind, it activates your visual centers of your mind because you, you start to picture what's going on in the story. And that's why books are usually better than movie, because you've already formed a picture of what the book, what the story should look like. And then when you go watch the movie, you're like, that's not what it looks like, <laughs> you know? Um, so your thinking skills are also activated because you're, you're thinking sequentially. You're wondering what's going to happen next and your logic skills are predicting that. So that is an active activity that's just lighting up your brain. So the more areas of our brain that are going to light up, the more active our brain becomes in the learning process. And when we use more areas, we're going to remember it better. 
we're also more likely to make connections with other knowledge that we have in our brain. And when we make connections to something we already have in our brain, then we remember it even more. And then it becomes exciting and it makes us want to learn more. It makes us want to, it, love, it makes us love learning, really. And when we enjoy something, we feel good. And when you have a good feeling, then you remember it better and you learn faster. Now, yes, your brain can learn with educational software, but it is mostly memorization and it's knowledge that's learned in isolation. You're not making connections to the other information for the most part. So in order to retain it, you've got to do a lot of repetition. When the information's connected, then you remember it more easily and deeply. Now, I did just say that when we enjoy something, it attaches a good feeling to it and we remember it better and we learn faster except that in the case of like educational video games, the feeling actually turns out to be a little bit fake. <laughs> because I'm sure we've all heard this, video game designers and social media and all these other tech things, they design the stuff to be addictive to our brain. So when you, and the way they do this is they're using our chemicals in our brain to do that. So when we reach a level of success in a video game, you get rewarded. And when you get that reward, your brain releases a chemical called dopamine. And dopamine is that feel good transmitter and it's the chemical that's released when you accomplish something or when something else feels good to you, like good food and it makes you just wanna keep having more of it. And it's also why we like to get things done and it's why we can get addicted to video games or food or whatever, because it feels good. But just because something feels good does not mean it's good for us, right? And if we are addicted to the video games, chances are we're not actually doing things. We're not actually accomplishing things in real life to move us forward on our hero journey. We might feel that sense of accomplishment in a video game, but it's not really actually, in most cases, helping us progress in real life. Now, I'm not gonna say that it's not always that way because sometimes maybe there are some games that can help us progress in a certain area. But that's why I say the, the feeling for the most part is mostly fake. I did hear about um, a guy that turned in a resume to a company and every single thing on his resume was his accomplishments in a video game. And <laughs> he didn't get hired because he hadn't shown any success in real life. So when we're on screens, it literally does change our children's brains and ours too, actually, because what happens is we get so used to being entertained with the passive activity, then we don't know how to focus when we want to learn more deeply or when we need to think. And so it's tougher to get all those brains, the different areas of the brains to activate and get excited about learning because it feels like too much work because it's much easier to be passive and just let everything come to you. So, you know, when I start describing all these problems and how screen time affects our brains, then it, it, I could see how this would be really easy to think, all right, no screens at all, you know? But as we know, we do live in a world of technology and it is all around of us. Around of us, that's good. Around us, right? And it's not going away. So instead, I think that it's going to serve us a lot better if we learn how to manage it and put boundaries around it. And more importantly, teach our kids how to manage it too. 
At the same time, though, we need to help them because, like we said, it is designed to be addictive. And sometimes they do need the boundaries to learn how to manage, manage it as well. So what I've tried to do, and I haven't always been completely successful at this either, is that for my under 12 kids is I try to limit that greatly because their brains are still forming. Their brains are a lot more susceptible to creating these patterns in their brains from the video games and the screens and whatever technology. Um, and so I wanna at least try to give them the greatest chance to learn how to focus and to think and be creative as their brains are still forming. Now, like I said, this <laughs> doesn't always work out that way. You know, ideally I would prefer that the younger kids are getting less than an hour of screen time a day. And, um, you know, tools like circle or other time limit things can help with that. And when I added circle, it's like a time tracker thingy, I don't know what you call it, program software thing where you can put a limit of how much time they get on the internet. And so when I set that up, I was like, okay, this is not because I want to be the bad guy. I want to limit you on this. I just want to help you learn how to manage your time. Because if you know how much time you're spending, then that's going to make you a lot more aware. And then you can make better choices with how much time you're spending on the internet. So for example, you know, I talked to each one of my kids and I said, how much time do you think would be reasonable to spend on the internet? And, you know, my nine-year-old daughter is like 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, great, but I don't think she realizes how much time she is spending. And I, so I said, how about an hour? So we set it for an hour and now she's finding, oh, I usually do want to spend more time than that. So that's interesting, right? So, um, the other thing is, is we want to talk about how we can use technology either as a producer to create things so we can use it as a tool to create stuff or as a consumer where we're just getting um, entertainment and passive things and i'm not saying that we should never be a consumer because sometimes you do want some entertainment right but if we want to feel like a successful human being who is progressing, then probably most of our usage should be as a producer, unless we're consciously choosing it to have a little break with some entertainment. But the problem is we can get sucked up into that. We all know that. So um, the kids can use the internet to do schoolwork, to create things. My nine-year-old daughter has been writing a book on Google Docs. Um, but they, and they can also use it to practice skills like typing or math facts. Um, so I am pretty picky about what educational games they get to use because I found that a lot of the educational games are more game than education or, or practice and memorizing this stuff. And so I, I do screen those first before I allow, especially the younger kids too with that. Now, teenagers usually are gonna use the computer more too because they're doing more schoolwork, but we use that same principle of trying to be producers instead of consumers. We've also tried really hard not to let our teens have a smartphone until they are 16 years old because social media is really rough on teenagers and it can be rough on adults too. 
And it is getting harder and harder to wait that long because this is how they communicate with their friends. And sometimes it's actually more convenient for me, but for now we're sticking with it. You know, although we did get a gab phone for the last kid when she was 15 and a half. So that's just one of those things you gotta decide. Now, I've also started asking the kids how they feel after they spent more time scrolling than they thought they should have. And they usually don't feel, you know, super uplifted. They feel worse. And those feelings are really good to notice and to point out. Now, one thing that a lot of moms do, and I have certainly tried this as well, is to tie screen time as a reward to get schoolwork done. Just like the mom asked in the question that I read earlier, you know, should I let them do it after schoolwork's done? You know, they say, when you finish your math, spelling, and reading, then you can have 30 minutes of screen time, okay? Now, this sounds very reasonable, but there is a big problem that I discovered with doing this. <laughs> when I have done this in the past, what I've found is that my kids get totally focused on the reward, and so they rush through all their schoolwork in order to get to the video game, and they don't really care about the schoolwork or the learning, so they do the bare minimum required. And they are not inspired at all to go make go any deeper, to make connections, to think, or to learn more. So instead, I took that, I separated that. And I was like, no, I'm not going to use it as reward anymore. It doesn't work. So that's what I was saying. I talked to my kids about how much time they felt was reasonable to be on the computer. And then I let them use it to be productive. And they're not always 100% productive. And then again, neither am I. Uh, they get distracted. But the fact that they know they only have a certain amount of time, um, it means that they're going to be less distracted than they would be. It means that they can maybe prioritize doing the practice, the schoolwork that they were going to do first. And I do also let them ask for more screen time if they have something else productive they need to do. So it's more like I just have the computer available for them to use as needed so that they can use it, but hopefully they're more aware and they're not using it all the time. And it's not a reward. A reward? A reward. <laughs> now, sometimes we do have to do technology resets because like anything, <laughs> we, can, we can set up a system and it always gradually goes out of the system, right? We gradually start getting on screens more and more. It's just, the nature of things, right? So we take a look at how much we're doing and then we either do a reset with more limited time or we just take a whole tech break altogether. So this, I, I usually just know because it's mom intuition. And sometimes I fight it because I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with this, but I know it needs to happen and so it does, right? It does need to happen. But what I see in so many of my kids, what happens is I start seeing those behavior changes. Like people are getting grumpier and they're not as nice to each other. And my younger kids start to get to the point where they can't think of anything to do except for to get on the computer. Um, and my teens start to feel unproductive and lousy, you know? So taking a technology break is a good idea. Now, I know there's some people who say that having their kids play online games with friends is fine. 
because that's their child's social outlet and that's how they get along with friends. And it may be. Uh, some kids, on the other hand, may have more addictive personalities than others, and many of them literally cannot stop themselves, even if they wanted to. I mean, sometimes it gets to the point where you take away the computer, but they still go find it and they hack in, right? Addiction can be a real problem because it takes away your choice. Like they can't stop themselves. And I also think that technology usage becomes a real problem when it starts to prevent us from doing other things in real life to help us progress on the path of the hero journey to become the person we want to become. Now, my oldest son went off to a prestigious college and I tried hard to teach him how to manage the technology, but I knew he was playing games and stuff a little more than maybe I would have preferred, but I also knew he had to figure this out. Well, he was pretty surprised because this college you have to have done very well in high school to get into. And he was pretty surprised at how many of his roommates were so addicted to video games that that's all they did and they were failing their classes because they apparently did not have the skills to self-regulate or they could not self-regulate or they just didn't have their mother there to tell them to get off. I mean, there's example after example about how it just takes over your life. I mean, my daughter dated a guy who would often cancel his plans with her and she found out later that it was usually to play video games. <laughs> so it does make a lot of sense to apply boundaries before an addiction can occur. But like I said, that can be really, really hard as a parent to apply boundaries because kids love to get on screens. And when you tell them they can't, they can get very, very angry. And then we wonder if we're doing the right thing and we don't want to face the barrage of emotions that come out. We just don't want to deal with it. But we know in our hearts that intuition that we have can tell us what to do and how to manage that. I recently read a short story by Ray Bradbury and it was published in 1950. So we're talking 70 years ago, right? 71, huh? And it was called The Velt. That's V-E-L-D-T. So basically you have this family, they got two children and they move into this happier life home. And it has all the technology you could ever imagine. So this is a sci-fi story, right? But it does everything for you. So you don't have to do anything. It toasts your food, it ties your shoes, all of it. But best of all is the children's nursery or the playroom because they can go in there and it's gonna perform anything that they want from their imagination. It's like a virtual reality, but it's kind of like done with robotic anim animatron type things. But the problem is, is that the kids will start to act out on all their selfish interests and they go down this path to get everything they want, everything their way. And they create this African scene. It's a velt. And the veldt is a is African grasslands, right? And it has lions and everything in it. And they're so into this virtual reality that they don't respect their parents at all. And then when their parents threaten to shut the nursery down, they nag and whine until finally their parents give in and say, fine. And I'm not gonna give the ending away because <laughs> it's a short story, but suffice it to say, it does not turn out well. And <laughs> it is a 
interesting warning and view into the future with technology. And it makes me wonder if we are there with what he's warning about, where we let tech rule our children's lives and we don't have the courage to build a to set up the boundaries. So I enjoyed reading that because I was like, yeah, they need the boundaries. <laughs> so when it comes to managing the technology, I think it's the most helpful to come down to the principles and think about what it is you really want. You know, what do you want for your kids? You know, I think for most of us, we want our kids to learn how to manage their time and also learn how to choose to do the hard things on their journeys that's gonna help them progress and transform them into the people that they are inside, the greatness there, you know? But if the tech is distracting us from that, then we need to take another look. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if the tech is distracting us from building relationships, you know, again, we need to take another look. So to recap, probably the most important things you can do to manage the technology in your home are, number one, trust your own intuition. You really do know what's best for your kids. And it is okay to set boundaries. And it's good to ask and find out what other people are doing, but then trust your, your intuition about what you wanna try. So when you set the boundaries, you can still be okay with changing them as needed because times change. Different kids need different boundaries. You know, it's, an, it's a, almost like a living, changing thing to set those boundaries. And even the tech changes. I mean, since my oldest son, we were still in videos with VCRs. You're not gonna navigate it perfectly. But if you choose to trust and you make the decision, you're going to feel a lot better about it. And so are your kids. And then number two is involve your kids with it. You know, talk to them and help them understand why we don't necessarily want to have unlimited tech and cast a vision of all the amazing things they could be doing to progress on their hero journey too. And they can use the technology as a tool to help them develop and grow and to live up to their potential. But if they're always on screens, they may never get to the actual doing. So teach them that difference between producer and consumer. So the more our kids understand that they are good and valuable and that they get to make choices in their lives, that can help them become better and live up to their potential so they feel amazing, or they can make choices that make them feel not so amazing, the better they're going to learn how to manage their own tech use. And like I said, it's not always going to be perfect, but it's going to be better. So, you know, listen to what your intuition is saying, figure out a starting place and just start there. So, a big part of this too, I think, is that as our kids learn how to manage the technology, it builds their character. Because if they always get everything that they want, we all know people who get everything in the, that they want, they don't really build a whole lot of character or self-discipline in themselves. So we can look at technology as a great opportunity to help our kids develop that as well. So, Another thing I want to mention that's coming right up is I'm really excited about the launch of character building toolkit that is coming up and watch for the two day 
sale where it's going to be half price. So it's going to be a killer deal. So if you're on the email list, watch for that. And I'll also post it on social media as well. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, follow your intuition and figure out how to manage that technology. And I would also love to hear from you what it is that you have been doing to figure out how to manage technology because I think this is a conversation that's really good for us to have because it gives us more ideas and more confidence that what we're doing is good. Thanks for listening to the Building Heroes podcast. Can you help more people join the Building Heroes movement by sharing this podcast? More people can find it when you subscribe to the show, rate it, and leave a review. For more help on Building Heroes in your home, get the free Building Heroes resources at www.buildingheroesacademy.com.